0: Welcome to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast at Mockingbird Ministries, an organization that exists to connect the Christian faith with the realities of everyday life. As always and ever, I'm Scott Jones, your co-host, and in just a few moments, I'll be joined by Jacob Smith, the rector at Calvary St. George's Episcopal Church in New York City. Each week, Jake and I will endeavor to have a grace-infused, cosmopolitan conversation about the lectionary texts for the week. We'll do our best to help both pastors and churchgoers alike to connect the same old song of God's redeeming grace to what feels like an ever-changing and confusing world. And we'll do it all in 25 minutes or less. Jake, once more into the breach, my friend, the singing the same old song
1: yet again. Singing the same old song, but in a different season. We're in the season of Lent. So, which kicked off yesterday, and Lent is a penitential uh, season. Uh, it kicked off with Ash Wednesday yesterday, where uh, and a lot of people ask about that and what's going on with that, and a lot of people are doing it because they think that's that it's hip, and uh, I guess there's this Ash Wednesday selfie fad going on. And um, but the truth is, is that what so a-
0: so so much for uh, don't let your righteousness <laughs> chef went on display for others, man. There you go. It's, uh, it's, it's uh,
1: like
0: sometimes it's like sometimes. Uh, Christianity the church seems like Seinfeld it's like what do you know whatever I will do Jerry I I want to do I'll do the opposite yeah (laughs) that's right what did did Jesus instruct let us do the opposite
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, I think a more appropriate reading uh, uh, that passage from Matthew five do not uh, do not make your face dismal like the hypocrites do is the typical reading for um, Ash Wednesday now. But there's an older reading, and that was um, uh, from Luke chapter eighteen verses nine through fourteen, and that's the story of the uh, of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and uh, um, and really that is what Ash Wednesday is all about. Uh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and and uh, that's what the ashes symbolize. They symbolize your sin, and as a result, ultimately your mortality. Um, but we don't just put a dot on your head. Uh, there's all these funny things out on the internet lately about the the different um, symbols and signs on people's heads and what they mean. Um, there's the Rorschach blot and the Hindu. But uh, um, the, we make the sign of the cross, and we make the sign of the cross on your head because it reminds us that that's the symbol by which God has triumphed over death in his son, Jesus Christ. And because of that sign, though you die, you will yet live, for he will raise you up on the last day. And then I always tell everybody to go home and wash it off immediately, and remember your baptism, uh, because there in the waters you've been given that promise that you have been made clean. And so uh, we push forward from Ash Wednesday into the 40 days of Lent, and uh, Lent... By the way,
0: can I say the way I I don't make my face dour before others... I use... I learned this from my wife, a, a woman who was in the hospital. It w- she was a patient, and she was like, oh, gosh, almost 90 or something. Her skin was perfect. Never use soap on your face. Neutrogena, like the face wash, you can buy it. It's in a blue. like it, It's in a blue. It looks like a cold cream case. Mm. So don't wash your face with soap or body wash. Just use that. And it does... I get compliments on my skin all the time. So that's how... I heed the Lord's words. It's Neutrogena. Like, if you use soap on your face, you are going to look dour face like the religious That's a, hypocrites. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. You know, I always tell people, and there was a big... Uh, there were a couple of early blog posts on the Mockingbird blog um, a long time ago about real things to take up for Lent, to put you in touch with your need. So only eat chocolate for 40 days and only drink soda. Uh, So many people take this as like Christian rehab and we're going to get better. And uh, the truth is, is to put you in touch with your need. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. So only eat chocolate for 40 days. Don't eat anything else. Only drink soda. Uh, Don't wash your face for 40 days. And uh, that will put you in touch with the need for a Savior. So,
0: um, no, I, I, okay, I can say the chocolate and the soda, but I'm saying don't use Neutrogena, don't use soap. So, seriously, it will dry your skin out, it's abrasive. This Neutrogena is all you need.
1: This episode of Two Words brought to you by Neutrogena. Exactly, exactly. Here well, we, we, we come into the first reading, the Old Testament reading, and uh, the Old Testament reading is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and then we dive into chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, the mighty fall. Or the, the mighty, mighty, or the mighty, the mighty reaching up, as uh, the Reverend Paul Walker at Christ Church, Charlottesville, calls it, the premature reaching up.
0: Yeah. So we first off we have the story of we have a brief excerpt of the creation story here. Right. This is the second creation story, and we see God putting uh, Adam in the garden and allowing him to eat, mm. but asking him not to eat of the tree of good and evil, because if they eat of it, they'll die.
1: Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and then here we see uh, basically the, uh, the root of all sin, as Martin Luther once said, is unbelief. And here we see the serpent come in, who is craftier than all the wild animals that God had made. And he says to Eve, the woman, he says, Did God say... And really, that is the that is the beginning of all sin. Did God really say this? Did God really say that? It's unbelief in what God has declared. And what's really interesting is is that she actually adds to it, adds to what God says.
0: Yeah, it's it's very interesting because she said, "Yeah, he said, don't don't even touch it." And I think this is what we do when we're wounded in all relationships, whether on the or horizontal or in the vertical. Is yeah, it's not just that you forgot to do the dishes. You wanted to make me anxious. It's not just that you forgot to pick the kids up. You want to schlop responsibility off on me. And you want, so at the level of – if, if imputation positively is where all the heavy lifting of the gospel gets done, imputation negatively is where every relationship, a divine or human, is ruined. Mm. Because you, you begin to caricature rather than characterize mm. the other. And that's clearly happens here.
1: Mm, absolutely, and so we see powerfully that they do eat of the fruit, and uh, their eyes were opened. Uh, 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 Dante, in uh, not Dante, um, uh, Milton, in his uh, book Paradise Lost, really, I think, has a powerful kind of um description of what this scene must have looked like. A lot of authors have done it and tried to do it, but uh I mean I think um Paradise Lost, there's this, you know, huge they have nightmares and there's this huge sexual scene. It's really powerful. But you don't want to preach on that at all. Uh the point is is that their eyes Maybe eye, you do maybe you do. You do. But maybe
0: uh, you do a little racy.
1: <laughs> but the, their eyes were open. And uh and they realized at that moment that they were naked. And I think that this um this uh, powerful kind of, especially in light of, um, of last week's reading on the transfiguration as we closed up Epiphany, and Jesus is transfigured and he's glowing. And St. John of Christostom, when he preached on the transfiguration, he talked about how, um, he speculated about how Adam and Eve glowed in the Garden of Eden, and that the hope of the gospel is is that one day, because of Christ, we'll glow again. But there's this moment when they realize something, um, and I think this is kind of what Christostom was hitting on, that they are mortals, and uh, that um, they're afraid, they are less than.
0: Yeah, and I think, I mean, the best take on this I've ever heard is by Alexander Schmemann,
1: I Are thought you sure? were going to say Benedict again. No, but... <laughs> no, we're going East. We're going to Russian
0: Orthodox. And he says in the book, For the Life of the World, the first chapter of which uh, is the best, one of the best explanations of what the gospel is all about I've ever read in my life. Mm. But he says that the natural dependence of man upon the world was intended to be transformed constantly into communion with God in whom is all life. Man was to be the priest of a Eucharist, offering the world to God. And in this offering, he was to receive the gift of life. But in the fallen World, man does not have the priestly power to do this. His dependence on the world becomes a closed circuit and his love is deviated from his true direction. Then, a couple paragraphs later, he summarizes the nature of the fall this way, which I think is perfect. In our perspective, the original sin is not primarily that man has disobeyed God. The sin is that he ceased to be hungry for him and Mm -hmm. for him alone, ceased to see his whole life depending on the world as a sacrament of communion with God. The sin was not that man neglected his religious duty. The sin was that he thought of God in terms of religion, i.e. opposing him to life. Mm. The only real fall of man is his non-Eucharistic life in a non-Eucharistic world. The fall is not that he preferred world to God, distorted the balance between the spiritual and material, but that he made the world material. Whereas he was to have transformed it into life in God filled with meaning and spirit.
1: Oh, isn't that powerful? And as a result of that, what do they do? They put together fig leaves. You know, they try and cover themselves.
0: It's like the first act of idolatry. It really is. If if an idol is taking, is trying to get a spiritual need uh, your life, existential spiritual needs that can only be met by the creator from uh, something in the creation, then we see that the figs, the leaves are, are an attempt to get the kind of healing and deliverance that only God can give.
1: Absolutely. And I think one of the interesting things that comes out of this particular text, oftentimes I get a lot of uh, questions from uh, people about, well, why would God even have put that tree in there? You know, why did He do this? Why did He do that? You know, once again, uh, kind of the questioning of God, the, the actually the I mean that that unbelief that he's actually God, and we are his creatures to, to question who he is and what he's done, and so but that that's the wrong question. The question is is what is God doing and what has God been doing even through that, even through the fall and through the whole mess that followed uh, chapter three and the beginning. <laughs> And I, begin, I think we begin to see that in our epistle reading from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. I love Romans. Oh, I do. Who doesn't, really? <laughs> exactly.
0: So, yeah, Romans 5. What's going on here, Jake, in this great ep- chapter from the great epistle by the Apostle Paul?
1: Well, I think a couple of things. Um, you know, I think one, uh, so here in this particular section of Romans chapter 5 is that Paul is... Um, articulating that question and answering that question, what is God doing and what has God been doing in the midst of this? And uh, this is a really powerful theme. He begins to talk about like a type and how God even His work in Adam, and that uh, that um, through this was coming another Adam, um, a second Adam who brings validity to this first one, and uh, and brings validity to the entire new uh, the entire Old Testament. And so I think uh, what Paul is doing here is showing the world, and this is very offensive in our me-driven kind of society, but that God is looking at the world through the lens of two people, Adam and Jesus, and through one. Uh, sin had come into the world, and through the other um, uh, grace has come into the world. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man Jesus abounded for the many.
0: Amen to that. And this text, I mean, I feel like this text just about preaches itself in some ways.
1: Absolutely, and uh, and you begin to see really that. Um, what, uh, what Jesus' ministry is all about in the gospel. You know, this is that he is, um, he is this one who is redeeming Adam's work. He is this one who is the new Moses, actually. He is the new Israel. He's the new everything, so that we in him might be justified and that we in him might actually have life. For just as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So it is life in these two things. You, uh, people oftentimes in a uh, in uh, in America today talk about a personal relationship with God. And do you have a personal relationship with God? And the fact and what Paul is trying to get across here is that everybody's got a personal relationship with God. Uh, the question is: is that personal relationship in Adam or is that personal relationship in Christ? And uh, and this is the powerful thing. Christ becomes even your substitute in everything. And uh, and this is what Lent is all about. If you think you're journeying on some sort of road to the cross by yourself, you are wrong on Lent. And uh, what, what this is actually about is that we are following in the way of the one who has gone before us, because he's gone before us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that also, I mean, getting about – getting at what you said earlier around the tree and why is the tree there? Like The, the gospel is not a, it's good news. It's not a philosophical That's response right. to, the, to the problem of evil. But the only thing we can say is in the mystery of God's economy, you know, it's it's Felix Culpa, right? Blessed fall, which leads to a more blessed redemption. Somehow the world is more glorious and beautiful in a world where sin comes on the scene and is overcome by the love of God than mysteriously if it never appeared at all Mm. and that that uh, that paradox stretches the capacity of language to be meaningful but there's something in there that's true
1: This really uh, just kind of bridges the gap right into our gospel reading, you know, so why did God put a tree there in the first place? Well, once again wrong question, but we see this happening in Matthew chapter 4. It kicks right yeah, off. This
0: is a cat we're giving a catalog of all the wrong questions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But it kicks right off in Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 where it says Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, a desolate place. That's the translation for wilderness, a desolate place to be tempted by the devil. So here he is this second Adam being led to a desolate instead of being in a garden where everything's growing hey man i've got you eat any anything you want eat anything you want but that tree um you know jesus this second Adam this one who by grace and truth comes into the world is being led by the spirit into a desolate place
0: yeah and you know i was thinking of S- something that uh, Sarah Condon posted. I-, I don't know if it was a repost from an older thing. On, it was great. That was on the webs on Mockingbird's website somewhere about how what's happening in the wilderness in the 40 days has, whatever's going on there is little to do with us. <laughs> it, we, and, but I think that, you know, what's interesting and I think how I preach this text, I think maybe how I will preach it is that y- you have this amazing parallel where Jesus as, you know, he's, he's the new Israel, right? And so he, emerges from the wilderness, not disobedient and losing his way. But actually he responds to the devil every time with words from Deuteronomy, the whole book about choosing life. Mm-hmm. And so, but also he's the new Adam and Jesus says no in a fallen world in the desert to everything Adam and Eve said yes to in the garden.
1: Mm, absolutely So right. he
0: recapitulates and there's a great story about that about J. Gretchen Machen, the founder of Westminster Seminary, a controversial and polemical figure, but he shortly before he died in 1937, he sent a final telegram to his friend John Murray, Professor John Murray, and the words of the telegram were these alone. I'm so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. Mm. So it's <sighs> you know, it's Jesus Jesus there's the passive obedience in the passion where he's crucified for our, our sins. And then later raised for our justification. But there's also the act. He didn't just die the death yeah. we should have died. He lives the life we should have lived. That's right. And so you look at, and one of the things that I think is is awesome in in Karl Barth's volume for the church dogmatics, the way he works out his understanding of sin is he looks first to the person of Christ. So in, in the sort of descent move, right, one of the stories is the son descends and becomes human. So here we have the Lord is Servant. So he said, Well, then what's our issue? Our issue's got to be pride. And then the second chat volume of 4 2, he says that Jesus is the royal man. He's the one when God calls, he doesn't hide but always responds. And so he's the faithful covenant partner of God. So if that's true, what is our issue? It's sloth. It's the inability to respond as we're called. And then his last volume, he says he's the true witness. So we also have kind of a priest, king, prophet thing. He says, What well, what if Jesus is the true witness? What are we? Well we're filled with falsehood, and that's our issue. And so, I think that here, the 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 the, the 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 way to preach the gospels here in Lent is not primarily imitatio Christi, imitation of Christ, but participatio Christi, like participation. How do we participate in His vicarious life for us, right, yeah. by grace, mm. not by our own sort of. Religious imagination or gymnastics?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the um, another great Machen quote. Um, I don't know where he said it, but he once said, "Soon there will be so much uh, um, uh, applied Christianity that there'll be very little Christianity to apply." And uh, I think that's in his uh, book on Christianity and Liberalism. But uh, he uh, th- that is absolutely right. And the way not to preach this text. Is not to preach about how you know how, how can you resist the devil? Uh, the truth is is that before the devil you are toast on the belly that when the curse follows in Genesis chapter three on your you know you shall be made dust, referencing back to Ash Wednesday in Genesis. But the the meal of the serpent is dust, and before the devil you are dust. And so our thing is to look to the one who has saved us. Look to the new Israel, the new Adam, the new every. Thing the new you who has come and uh, and lived this out perfectly.
0: Yeah, another yeah. I, I totally agree. Just in conclusion, there's a great book that it's good Lenten reading. I think Andrew renowned book in the name of Jesus, and it's actually it's reflections on Christian leadership based on the the temptation narratives. And he said that the, that basically Jesus faces the temptations. All, uh, everyone faces Especially people that wind up Doing things like leading churches First he sees The temptation to be relevant you know, uh, and, uh, and Then he thinks that The second temptation Is the temptation to be spectacular mm. And the third temptation He thinks that Jesus faces Is the temptation to be powerful Just kneel down before me And I'll give you these And so Basically Jesus chooses You know Is is You know Forsakes relevance Forsakes being spectacular and and most importantly, I think or at the heart of the whole gospel narrative is the forsaking of power mm. the way the way we think of power, that power is made perfect in weakness, and so there I mean again, Jesus says no to everything we daily so often say yes to, mm. and that is where the good news is found in in his active obedience
1: pro nobis, for us. That's right. The A great artist, James Tussaud, um, has a piece of art about Jesus in the wilderness at the end uh, from this last verse, Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited upon him. And there Jesus is lying in the desert, uh, surrounded by angels, but he's lying cruciform, because all of this drives us ultimately to the cross, where this... Um, was all met and, um, and came to a head. And uh, by his obedience, the many indeed will be made righteous.
0: Amen to that. And we will see you all next week. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. To find out more about Mockingbird, go to our website, mbird.com. If you like what you heard, Please go over to iTunes, give us a rating, and write a review, hopefully a favorable one. It helps so much. And maybe share it with a friend via social media. If you have thoughts, comments, or questions, feel free to email me at scottjones at mbird.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week.